Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. The Voice. You can admit it. Anybody watch The Voice? Anybody out there watch it? Not too many. We had quite a few people at first service that, that, that admitted to watching uh, that program. It's in its 22nd season. I've never seen a single episode. The only voice that I'm really interested in paying attention to these days is my wife. <laughs> yeah, last week I, I, I spoke about using our voice to speak uh, to power. Today we commemorate uh, a, an individual who also used his voice to speak to power, and that was Martin Luther. Uh, it was uh, on October 31st. Today is uh, Reformation Sunday. It was on October 31st that, uh, that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses uh, to, the, to the door, the church, the castle there in, uh, in Wittenberg, uh, desiring to have a conversation. The last thing that he wanted was to tear the church apart. That was the last thing he wanted. But, but he, he had come to discover that the church was no longer listening to the voice of God. And so he, he nails these 95 theses, uh, uh, hoping to stimulate some conversation. I've, I've been there. We went. Uh, we went to uh, Germany uh, to uh, commemorate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Those doors that, that Martin Luther uh, nailed his theses on uh, the, the original doors are not there. The, the, the doors that are there now are solid bronze. Ain't nobody going to nail nothing to those things anymore. Uh, but uh, before we went over there, we had an opportunity to go to a conference uh, on the Reformation. And uh, a, a couple of things that they talked about that really, that really stuck with me. Uh, the Protestant Reformation is not something to be celebrated. It's something to be commemorated because it was a tragic necessity. There are things in our lives that we commemorate that we do not celebrate. We remember life-changing events like 9-11. We commemorate it. We remember it. We don't celebrate it. Yeah, the, the same with Pearl Harbor. Uh, Jody and I were just there a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, we used to have a, a member, he's, he's with the Lord now, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Miller, Jim Dick Miller, arguably the last person to step off of the USS Arizona before it went down. He was a junior officer. It was his first duty station, and, of course, he got the weekend duty uh, and December 7th happened. And when the smoke cleared, he decided to go into submarines. <laughs> so anyway, he was a member here uh, at the congregation, and, and I, I couldn't help but think about him as we were there. We remember that event, but we don't celebrate it. The same with the Reformation. It's something to be remembered and to, and to be thought of and to kind of, kind of uh, break it down uh, it was a tragic necessity because it ripped the church in two. 
And that was not Martin Luther's desire. He really wanted to have conversation. The, the church had strayed because they had stopped listening to the voice of God. But I would ask you, do you think that's the first? Oh, the other thing that we learned is that there wasn't just one Reformation. We speak of the Protestant Reformation as a singular event, and it wasn't. There were multiple Reformations that continue into this very day. If, if, you, if you wanted to, to, to see the expanse and the, and the differences between uh, uh, a people's view and understanding of the Reformation, if you, if you looked at the church as a giant library, there were some who ran into the library and pulled out one, two books and threw them away and said, this is our Reformation. And at the other extreme, you had people that ran into the library and pulled out one book and ran outside and said, you can burn the rest. This is our Reformation. So you had everything in between. So it really wasn't just one Reformation. It was multiple Reformations. And they continue to this very day. But I would suggest to you that it was far from the first Reformation. It was far from the first time the people of God stopped listening to the voice of God. And if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. In this 10th chapter, Jesus refers to himself as the gate, as the good shepherd. John focuses on helping us to understand who Jesus is from beginning to end, opening pages. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John posts the dialogues and the teachings of Jesus around the festivals of Israel. And the festivals of Israel were a time for them to celebrate God's miraculous deliverance over and over again. And of course, we remember John the Baptist, the baptizer at the beginning of his ministry saying, behold, when Jesus came on the scene, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Right around Passover time. And what is Passover about except the celebration of God's miraculous deliverance from earthly slavery? We spent some time talking about the, the, the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was celebrating God's miraculous provision while they were in the wilderness. They were hungry. God gave them manna from heaven. They were thirsty. Water came from a rock. They had a pillar of fire that guided them by, day, by night and a pillar of smoke that guided them by day. And as they're celebrating th these events, Jesus shows up as the Lamb of God to deliver us from slavery to sin. As they're celebrating God's provision of manna from heaven, he says, I am the bread of life. 
As they go through the water ceremony, he says, if you're thirsty, come to me. And the lighting ceremonies, the, the lights are shining in the, in the court of the women. Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Don't you see that you're still in a wilderness? It's a spiritual wilderness. And you're slaves to sin. And I will show you how to live in a relationship with God and to one another. Not eliminating the law, but fulfilling the law. Teaching us how to live with one another. How to live in a relationship with God. Punctuated with grace. With mercy and forgiveness. And so as we continue reading in this 10th chapter, listen and take note of the festival around which this conversation takes place. I'm reading from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe because you are not my sheep. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the word, the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father sent, set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Then he stayed there and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in him. Once again, John draws us to a festival, a festival of dedication. 
What is the festival of dedication? You can search the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament and never come up with an answer. It was a festival that emerged during the intertestamental period, between the closing of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament. And it centers around a group of people that revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes, who when he had come in and taken over Israel, he went into the temple and he desecrated it. It started a revolt led by a priest by the name of Maccabees. It's known as the, bless you, known as the Maccabean Revolt. They eventually successfully drove Antiochus Epiphanes and his people out of the region. They believed that they did it by the hand of God. And so they went to consecrate the temple that he had desecrated. The consecration process took eight days. There was only one problem. They only had enough oil to light the eternal flame of God for one day. But in faith, the priest went in and he lit that lamp with just one day's worth of oil. And guess what? It lasted all eight days which was the time that they needed to create a new batch of oil for that lamp. And so they celebrate it as God's miraculous provision. By the way, that's also called Hanukkah. It's a later festival of the Jewish people. But all of these festivals are reflective of a time in their lives where they were struggling. And why were they struggling? because they weren't listening to the voice of God. And so John tells us that it was at the time of the festival, and then he goes on and he says it was winter. Well, I think that John is telling us more than just what season it is. For Jesus, this is the last stretch. He's days away from the triumphal entry days away from the cross. It was winter. These were dark times because the people of God had stopped listening to the voice of God. And really, isn't that the impetus behind what Martin Luther did? Wasn't he convinced that the people of the day had stopped listening to the word of God? And so instead of dialoguing with Martin Luther over these 95 theses, they called him in. They had all of his books on the table. And they said, are these your writings? They, they were all his writings. He had written voluminously. Are these your writings? Yeah, those, those are my writings. We need you to recant. Now, Martin Luther could have probably said, well, which ones, which ones trouble you? Do all of my works trouble you? Or, is it, or is, it just, is it just one or two? Attorneys say that you should never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. 
I say, don't ask the question if you're not willing to hear the answer. Because there are competing voices. And we need to know which voice we are listening to and honestly come with questions. Martin Luther stood there. He didn't argue with them. And, and, and sometimes people portray Martin Luther as this, as this bold, forceful person who stood up to these people and said, I'm not going to recant any way, shape, or form. I, 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 I don't think that's accurate. I think he was brokenhearted because he saw where all this was going. And I think with great humility, he looked at them and said, I'm sorry, I, I can't. You guys have been wrong in the past. But come to me and, and convince me with Scripture. Because unless you convince me from Scripture that, that I need to recant for any of this, I can't. My conscience is held captive to the word of God. And to go against the word of God is not right or safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. In that exchange, I hear echoes of this passage of Scripture. As the, as the leadership of the day come to Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Did they really want to know? Were they asking a question that they thought they already knew the answer to? Or were they asking a question with a desire for a right answer? And Jesus tells them, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Again, it's the miracles. He speaks of the miracles. And remember that every festival, including the Feast of Dedication, was a celebration of God's miracles. And Jesus was doing miracles left and right giving glory and honor to God. Never once in Scripture do we see Jesus say, aren't I great? There's that humility that's there. Listen. Listen for the voice of God. The miracles are all around. Dare I say that this was the first Reformation? As Jesus speaks to power who had turned from the voice of God, who had twisted what God had given to them for their own purposes? And does it really start there? Or were there reformations that happened before that? When do we read in Scripture people stop listening to God? Yeah, the opening pages of Genesis. 
And what happened was a tragedy. And it was God who takes the initiative to say, you know what? I can't let it end this way. And so he starts a reformation with Noah and continues it with Abraham. And Abraham listened. Noah listened. And you can imagine Noah's neighbors thinking he's crazy. It never rains. And I'm telling you, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah, I don't think so. Abraham, what faith? What faith for Sarah? Abraham comes home and says, honey, we're packing up and we're going. And she says, where? God told me to move. Which God? I don't know. But he told me and I'm going to follow. And she says, okay. And they do. Because they listen to the word of God. They're listening for the voice of God. And I, and I, and I see that as a, as a reformation because God says, I'm not going to let it in this way. And Abraham, from you, I'm going to create a nation of people that are going to bless the whole world. Cool. And how long does it take before they stop listening to the word of God? We talk about the deliverance from slavery. How do they get to be slaves? Because they stop listening to the voice of God. And when they cry out, God listens. And he says, okay, let's try this again. New reformation. Bring Moses. Moses comes in, brings them out miraculously. We're going to celebrate these miraculous events through festivals. Brings them to the foot of the mountain. Okay, folks, here's how it's going to go. If you want to stay and be my people, great. Let's create, I'll create of you a nation of priests. The whole world will be your congregation to show them my love and my grace. People talk about the Old Testament as being filled with law and the New Testament being filled with love. And I want to tell you that there's just as much love in the Old Testament as there is, love, as there is law in the New Testament. Jesus said it. I didn't come to eliminate the law, but to fulfill it, to teach, to show you, and then to do the unthinkable, to lay down my life willingly, to bridge that gap between a broken humanity and an unbroken word. And he does that on the cross that we might come before God without spot, without blemish to have the opportunity to have that peace with God and then to become emissaries of grace and mercy and healing and reconciliation and hope. Oh, the Bible is filled with reformations filled with reformations. In the Old Testament, as people stopped listening to the voice of God and they found themselves in the muck and the mire and they call out and God listens and lifts them back to the point at the right time, Jesus comes on the scene and the baptizer says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Passover time. His disciples, the disciples of John, they would have known about Passover. They would have known that they had to get a lamb, but that lamb was for their sin. 
That's what was, that was what was offered every year. Why does God need to provide a lamb for himself? God's for us. Because there's some things that only God can do. And break the bondage of sin and restore us into a right relationship with him is something that only God can do. We love because we were loved first. And we as a church submit to God not out of obligation or duty, but out of gratitude. We talk about the Reformation as a tragic necessity. Is there anything more tragic than Jesus being nailed to a cross? But if there was any other way, God would have chosen Jesus himself, kneeling in the garden, says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. There was a substitute for Isaac. Is there to be no substitute for me? My son, you are the substitute. You are the substitute. I tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. What greater declaration could Jesus give than to point to himself as the word that was in the beginning, that was with God, that was God, who became flesh and dwelt among them. They couldn't wrap their minds around the idea that God would become like them. And yet, we just go back a couple of verses into the ninth chapter. The man who was born blind, who was healed, when he sees Jesus, what does he do? And then the man said, in chapter 9, verse 38, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He worshipped him. Jesus allowed it. Do you remember when Peter and John healed the, 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 the beggar, the crippled beggar outside of the gate, beautiful, in the early pages of Acts, and they bow down and they start to worship Peter and John, and Pete says, no, 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 stand up. We're just people. We didn't heal this guy. God healed them through us. And Paul does the same thing. When they, when they want to worship him. No, 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 no. And yet Jesus accepts worship from this guy. How can he do that? Unless he really is who he claims to be. And if he's not who he claims to be, then we can dismiss him out of hand at this verse right here because he lets people worship him. That's the whole lunatic lord or liar argument that comes up sometimes. He's got to be one of the three. And I believe that he is our Lord. And I love this. I love this passage here. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Not in idea, but in essence. And imagine a father walking with a child Along a, 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 along a cliff 
and saying, child, hold on to my hand so that you don't slip and fall. Versus a child, a, a father who says, I don't want you to hold on to my hand. I'm going to hold on to your hand. Which grip is stronger? The grip of the child or the grip of the father? I want the father to hold my hand because Lord knows I've let go one too many times of his hand. But the promise, the promise is that Jesus gives eternal life. And we who have that will never perish and no one can snatch us out of his hand or the hand of the Father. And they pick up stones to stone him. I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these. We're stoning you for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. How ironic that it's actually the opposite. It is God who becomes like us. And, and I, 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 go to, uh, I go to Philippians for a further uh, understanding of that as, as, as Paul writes and tells us that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with something, equality with God as something to be grasped. And we see that humility even as Jesus responds and he says, is it not written in your law that I have said that you are gods? Speaking of the judges of the time who were in a godlike mode because they were passing judgment on others. Why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am the son of God. Equality with God, not something to be grasped. But if I do it, even though you do not believe, believe in the miracles that you may understand that I, that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. And they tried to seize him, but he got away. Because there is a destiny that awaits him. But for us, how do we hear the voice of God? How do we know that we're listening? How do we know that we're hearing the right voice in a cacophony of voices. The ambient noise is so loud these days that it's, sometimes it's hard to be still and know that he is God. And I would submit to you that there's a couple of ways that we can know if we're hearing the voice of God. One is to read his word, to be in the word. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low in our, in our country today and even in the church. We know the voice of God because we read the word of God. And then as we pray, ask the question. But don't ask the question expecting that you know the answer. Don't ask the question unless you want to hear the answer. Lord, do you still speak to people today? Can you speak to me as I read your word? Somebody once wrote that if we truly understood the nature of God, we'd come to worship with hard hats on, crash helmets. We think about worshiping the God of the universe who spoke the word, the world into existence. But we also hear the voice of God within the community as we encourage one another, as we live together, as we study together. As we hold each other accountable, 
The voice of God speaks through the community whose heart is held captive to his word. Oh, God still speaks today. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, God is there and he is not silent. God has an awful lot to say for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. And the challenge before us today is to desire deeply to hear the voice of God. And when we hear it, we follow. Because he is our good shepherd. And the only one really worth following. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Do we want to hear the voice of God? Amen. Then we need to delve into his word, open our hearts in prayer. Lord, lead us, faithfully lead us, that we might know and understand the responsibilities that are ours to be people of grace, of truth, of mercy, reconciliation, and love. To hear your voice and let it speak through us in ways that honor and glorify you, that we truly may be your sheep and you are good shepherd. It's a road worthy to be traveled, but you can't go it alone. That's why we need each other. And together, we listen for the voice of our Lord and we move deeper into his kingdom day by day.